It may seem impossible, but many churches comfortably worship while seemingly ignoring the lost next door and around the world. And that includes the unreached, the more than 3 billion people in the world who have little to no access to the gospel. Sadly, this is a reality for many churches. We need to realize or be reminded that God calls all believers to pray, give, and go for the spread of the gospel among all nations. In addition to reverent fear, sorrow for sin, and faithful prayer, genuine worship should involve a desire to see all nations reached with the gospel of Christ. This is part two of a message titled, Are We Truly Worshiping from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 26. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you <clears throat> or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, feel free to use table of contents if you need to. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in Arlington and Moco and Loudoun and Prince William, as well as others who are online because you're physically unable to be with us today. It's good to come together around God's Word. Today is a special day in our church family. On the heels of a special weekend, we walked uh, many people in this room Friday night until after 1 a.m., walking word for word to the book of Jonah. Uh, late into the night, as we prayed for, learned about, gave to the persecuted church around the world, specifically in Iran. All of that leading to today, which is what I often call an Acts 13 day in our church. So I'm going to put this passage up on the screen. It's not in Mark 11, but from Acts 13 to explain what I mean, just to give you a picture. Acts 13 verse 1 says, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and lists some of their names, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So just picture this scene. The church is worshiping together at Antioch, and while they're worshiping, the Holy Spirit speaks in the worship gathering and says, set apart for me two people, Barnabas and Saul for work that I'm calling them to, specifically to go and spread the gospel where it had not yet gone. So I'll put a map up here on the screen. I've shown this before. It represents the places where the gospel had gone by this point. So Antioch is way over here on the map, and there's a little bit of yellow around Antioch. Then there's a tiny bit of yellow. I mean, you can barely even see it on the map. I'll try to zoom it in. A tiny little bit of yellow around Jerusalem. And there's a tiny little bit of yellow around Rome. That yellow represents regions that were known to contain Christians at that time in Acts 13. Everywhere else, the gospel had not even gone. And on this day in Antioch, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to go out from here. And they end up in the days to come going all throughout this region, taking the gospel where it had not yet gone as a result of what happened 
in worship on this day in Acts 13. So that leads to another map that I've also shown before. It's a map of the world today. And hopefully many of you could explain this map to me, but just in case you're new to NBC or you just need a, a reminder, the places on this map that are green are reached with the gospel. So these places, obviously doesn't mean everybody in the green is a follower of Jesus. We know that. We live in the green. And not everybody's a follower of Jesus in Metro DC. But there are disciples who've been made and churches that have been planted in the green, which means people have access to the gospel in the green. In all these places, people have access to Christians and churches that are proclaiming the gospel. They're reached. The yellow areas on this map are less reached by the gospel, which means there's less gospel presence, less gospel access there. And you might, you might look at this from two uh, particular directions. Either in some of these yellow places, the gospel used to be very prevalent there, but it's waned in presence since then. Think parts of Europe where there's less gospel access now than there was, say, 100 years ago. Or maybe the gospel's recently come to these places in the yellow, so it's starting to grow, but it's still not as accessible as in the green. Then that leads to the red. The red places in the world are places where there is little to no access to the gospel. Which means not just that people are lost there, people are just as lost in green places as they are in red places, apart from God in sin. The picture in the red is they don't have Christians or churches there to share the gospel with them. So the likelihood is, if you're born in the red, and there's about three billion people in this area, practically what it means if you live there is, if, is that you'll be born, you'll live, and you'll die, and the likelihood is you'll never hear the gospel. You'll never even hear it. Now, I've been using that term multiple times already, gospel. I know some of you are visiting or you're exploring Christianity. Let me give you just a quick definition for gospel. The word literally means good news. It's the greatest news in the world that though all of us have sinned against God and are separated from God by our sin and deserve eternal judgment when we die because of our sin against God, God loves us. God has come to us in the person of Jesus who's lived a life with no sin and then even though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. Amen. And then three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death so that anyone anywhere on this whole map, anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus will be forgiven of all their sin and restored to relationship with God for all of eternity. Amen. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And the problem is, for three billion people, they've never even heard it. And the Bible's clear, and we've talked about this before. If you want to dive in deeper, just search somewhere online, like what happens to people who never hear the gospel, and then put my name in there, and you'll hear, see all kinds of stuff there where we walked, we've walked through the word, and we've seen that people can't believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins if they don't hear about Jesus, the truth about Jesus. And if they don't hear the truth about Jesus, then they can't be saved from their sin, which means, now let this soak in. We're talking then about three billion people in the world right now who are on a road that leads to an eternal hell 
unless somebody shares the gospel with them. It's not that they've heard it and rejected it. They've not even heard it and they don't have access to it unless somebody goes from green areas or yellow areas to the red areas, then they'll die and go to an eternal hell without even hearing the gospel. So, this is why we set aside days in our church family to pray and to say, God, are you calling any of us from the green here to go to the red? Now, I should step back a minute before even getting to that picture and point out what I hope is obvious because we say it to each other at the end of every single one of our gatherings. Jesus has commanded all of us to be a part of getting the gospel to all of the nations. Right? This is how we send one another out every week. Go and make disciples of all the nations. This is our purpose as a church. This is the purpose of our lives as followers of Jesus to make disciples of all the nations, which means, so follow this if you're taking notes, God calls all of us to pray intentionally and specifically for the spread of the gospel to all nations. Like if this is our purpose as a church, this is our purpose as followers of Jesus, then this is what we pray for. Intentionally, I use that word because, well, if or when we pray, we pretty naturally pray for ourselves or for things we see right around us. But God calls us to intentionally pray for people far from us. And that's got to take some intent. You don't accidentally pray for Azerbaijan. That's intentional. These red areas are filled with people who have no one praying to the one true God for them. And God calls us to stand in the gap for them. This is why our global outreach team produces a prayer guide during the year for every week for us to have intentional parts of the world to pray for. If you came in this morning, hopefully you received a card that has a link, a QR code that goes to that prayer guide where you can download it. Use that in your life. Use that in your family. Put it at the kitchen table and gather around with your kids and pray for the nations or by your bedside or in, in your church group. Pray intentionally. I've, I've mentioned before uh, the Unreached, uh, Unreached of the Day app with, from Joshua Project. If you do not have that app on your phone, then you have official permission from the pastor to pull out your phone right now and download Unreached of the Day. Like, this is a way where you can pray not just intentionally, but specifically. You can get a, a notification coming to you once a day that just pray for this unreached people group. Today's is the Mara people of Yemen. Over 100,000 of them, hardly any followers of Jesus among them tells you information about them. Like why, why would you not spend 60 seconds of your day praying for an unreached people group? As a person who has been left on the planet to make disciples of all the nations. God calls all of us to pray intentionally and specifically for the spread of the gospel to all nations. Use the Pray the Word podcast every day, five minutes. And in that, almost every day, we pray for one of these unreached people groups. God calls all of us to do this. And God calls all of us to give gladly 
and sacrificially for the spread of the gospel to all nations? What if God actually wants his love to spread to all the nations of the world? Might he give his people unprecedented wealth in the history of the world to help make that possible? It's exactly what he's done. But we've talked about this before. Followers of Jesus in our country, we obviously spend most of our money on ourselves. We give some of our money to churches or ministries. But then most of that money in churches, we spend on making church comfortable for ourselves. And and then a small percentage of what we give in the church, we then give to causes around the world, what we call missions. But we've done the research, even the small percentage that's given to missions by churches in America, the small percentage that's given to missions, about 99% of it goes to green places on this map, to parts of Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa and Europe. And I'm not saying there's not need for ministry in those places. Surely there is. But we're fooling ourselves if we think we're giving for the spread of the gospel among all the nations when we're actually ignoring the nations that most need the gospel in our giving. God has called us to give gladly. Like people who have the gospel, the greatest news in the world, certainly we don't need to be cajoled into giving toward this. This is just like, yes, I want to give as much as possible sacrificially to make sacrifices to get the gospel to people who don't have access to it. God calls all of us to give like that, to pray like that, and God calls all of us to go willingly and urgently for the spread of the gospel to all nations. Willingly? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We live for this, to make disciples of all the nations. And urgently knowing we've got like a little bit of time here on this planet, a mist. And those three billion people have a little bit of time too. They're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Let's make the most of today. So God calls us to go willingly and urgently for the spread of the gospel to all nations starting. So follow this right where we live. Like right here in this city. Let me give you a picture. I was so encouraged on Easter Sunday. Leo has been here at NBC for a long time. He had been in a small group with the same group of believers for a long time. One day, he looked around his neighborhood and said, I need to share the gospel right where I live. So he started a Bible study in his neighborhood. He started praying for his neighbors, inviting them to come. One day he was out on a walk in his neighborhood and God told him, you need to invite Reed, one of his neighbors. And for certain reasons, Leo was kind of nervous to invite Reed. And so he's on his walk and he said, he told God, okay, if you want me to invite Reed, then bring him out of his house. Little did Leo know that at that moment, Reed was having a personal crisis in his own life, sitting at his kitchen table, and he decided to walk outside just as Leo was coming down the street. So Leo started talking to him, invited him to Bible study. Reed, to Leo's shock and surprise, said yes. And long story short, Reed was baptized on Easter Sunday with Leo standing right beside him. This is what we, this is what we do. We go and make disciples starting right where we live. This is not, okay, either make disciples in your neighborhood or make disciples of the nations. You got to choose. I know. It's not either or, it's both and. We make disciples of the nations starting right here and then wherever God may lead us. And if God leads us to stay in the same house in the same neighborhood, 
then we stay in the same house in the state neighborhood and make disciples of the nations from there. Or if God leads us to leave here, then we leave here to make disciples of the nations in other places. And maybe he'll lead us to go somewhere short term for a week or two to spread the gospel somewhere else. This is awesome. Like Paul, who was sent out in Acts chapter 13, it would take him months to sail from one place to another on a boat. And the boat didn't always make it there in one piece. He never could have dreamed a machine that would pick you up and carry you through the air anywhere in the world and place you down within a day. He couldn't have imagined air travel, that we have the opportunity to go short-term to places around the world. We can go to the red tomorrow. Or what we call midterm. So instead of for a week or two, maybe for a month or two, or for a year or two. So high school or college students or professionals who have flexibility for where they work, retirees, to go and spend some extended time in the red where the gospel hasn't gone. To every student within the sound of my voice, seriously consider between the time you graduate high school and the time you finish college and move on to any kind of career, spending at least a summer, if not a semester or a year or two, going somewhere to the red. You have a unique opportunity to do that. If you are still in high school or middle school or elementary school, plan for that. Parents, help your children plan for that. All the way to retirees. People in our country go from the north down to the south in the winter to play golf. Why not go from the green and the red to spread the gospel? What's a better use of your life? especially in the years when you're preparing to see your Savior's face. What do you want to say when you stand before him? Check out that par on that course or check out these people who've heard the gospel. What's the fruit of your life going to be about? Or maybe to go long term, to pack our bags and move to the red. And there's so many ways this can play out. Maybe it's leaving a job, packing your bags and moving to the red, or maybe it's leveraging a job. So many people in this church have skills, expertise, jobs that open doors to go to the red. What if God has designed the globalization of today's marketplace for the spread of his gospel in the world? It's exactly what he has done. Do we realize what a unique time and place we are in right now? We have more opportunities today than ever before in history to spread the gospel to all the nations. You realize this. I mean, I mentioned travel. What about technology? It would take Paul however long to write a letter, months to get it sent somewhere, months to get a reply. You and I can communicate in real time with people around the world from a device in our pockets in multiple languages. This is fascinating. To whom much is given, much is required. Are we stewarding this moment in history? Are we living for this? To make this personal, are you, as a follower of Jesus, living for the spread of the gospel among the nations? This is what you and I are made for, not an American dream. Lift your eyes. You're made for a global vision. 
the train of history is headed toward one place. Revelation 7, every nation, tribe, tongue, gathered around the throne of God, singing his praises for salvation through Jesus. That's the train of history headed right there. Do you want your life to count in this world? Then jump on that train. If the train of your life is headed somewhere else, and the train of history, according to God, is headed here, well then, who needs to make a change? You or God? I'm, I'm praying specifically as we worship right now in this gathering that God will, one, open all of our eyes to see how he's called all of us to be a part of this. From whatever age or stage you are in life, situation you are in life, God's called all of us to pray, to give, to go. The question is just where and how long. And specifically I'm praying that in the next few moments, God will do what he did in Acts 13. And he will say to this person, this person, this person, different locations, these people, I'm setting you apart. So here's the question I want to put on the screen. Where we're going to land in just a couple minutes from now. Let me go ahead and put it out there. Do you sense that God may be leading you to go on a short-term mission trip or to go for a longer period of time to an unreached place for the spread of the gospel? And I phrase that intentionally. Do you sense, right where you're sitting, that God may be leading you? Because we have pastors, we have a whole global outreach team that wants to discern that with you. You don't need to make that decision on your own. You shouldn't make that decision on your own. That's why we see in Acts chapter 13, the church gathering around Paul and Barnabas. We want to discern that with you. But today, I want you to just ask, God, are you leading me? And if you sense he may be leading you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to God speaking to your heart today, either to go on a short-term mission trip or maybe to a longer period of time, to an unreached place for the spread of the gospel. So before we go any further, can we just pause and ask in all of our lives, and I include myself in this, God, are you leading us to do this? Are you leading me to do this? Can we just say right now, God, we we know that the same Holy Spirit who's spoken Acts 13 is the same Holy Spirit who's in this gathering right now. So we just lay our lives on the table before you. You're the Lord of our lives. Are you leading any of us to go in any of these ways? We pray that you'd speak to us now and you would give us humility Courage, humility to hear, and courage to respond.
In Jesus' name, may it be so. Amen. And obviously, I, obviously I'd, I would not want you to, to go anywhere based on something I've said. So, God's Word, Mark chapter 11. We were in this text last week where Jesus is turning over tables in the temple. I want to show you today the place in this passage where most people miss the point of the passage. Look at it with me. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, the disciples and Jesus, and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So last week, I tried to show how this was a people who had all the trappings of religion and worship, but they were missing the point. They were missing God. Specifically, they were missing three elements of true worship. One, they were missing fear, reverence, and awe before God. Two, they were missing confession and sorrow over sin before God. And third, they were missing faithful and forgiving prayer to God. And now this week, I want to show you one more element of true worship that they were missing. They had crowds of people. They had the Word of God. They had worship. They had all kinds of religious activity. But they were missing love for all nations. Picture this scene. Jesus turning over tables. You can only imagine the tension in the temple. Jesus is flipping over tables and everybody waits to hear what he says. And the words he speaks, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And it's a quote. Is it not written? It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7. So I want to put up here on the screen, you can turn back to it if you want, Isaiah chapter 56. I want to read the whole verse 7 and actually the verse before it, verse 6, to get the context. Because in Isaiah 56, God is telling his people how much he loves not just the people of Israel, but all the peoples of the world, all the nations. And how God specifically invites all the peoples of the world outside of Israel to come to his house, to his temple, to see and behold and enjoy him and all of his glory. Listen to this language in Psalm, Isaiah 56, verse 6. The foreigners, so people outside the people of Israel, who join themselves to the Lord, to me, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not prevent it, holds fast my covenant. These, so these Foreigners, I will bring to my holy mountain, it's where the temple is, make them joyful in my house of prayer in the temple. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for, here it is, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. God wanted the nations to see and enjoy his glory in the temple. All the nations, not just the people of Israel. 
And this was the intent of God from the very beginning of the temple, when it was built and constructed. I'll put up here 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41. When Solomon first dedicated the temple, he prayed. Likewise, when a foreigner who's not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I've built is called by your name. The temple was a place where all the nations could come and behold and fear the glory of God. So the question is, why When Jesus overturns these tables, he could have quoted from multiple places in the Old Testament that talked about this is a house of prayer. Why did he choose Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, that talks about a house of prayer for all the nations? Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's why. So I want you to picture the the construction, the geography, in a sense, of the temple. This is a massive structure in the middle of Jerusalem this majestic place that housed the glory of God dwelling among his people. And in the innermost part of the temple, so we'll just picture this place where I'm standing right here is the innermost part of the temple. This was the Holy of Holies, the place where God and his holy glory dwelt in the middle of his people. And nobody just came into the Holy of Holies, only the high priests and only at very specific times. And he'd come in, they would have uh, bells, wrapped around his, or bells attached to his clothes, a rope wrapped around his ankle so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, they could hear him moving around. And if the sound of the bells stopped, they would know he had stopped and been struck down. They had a rope that they could pull him out because he'd been struck down dead in the presence of God and his holiness. So that was the Holy of Holies. Outside of that, you had what was called the Court of Priests where they would do preparation for sacrifices and offerings. So this is where the priests did their work. Then outside of that, you had the court of Jewish men. This is where Jewish men could come and behold the glory of God and worship, offer prayers and sacrifices. Then outside of that, you had the court of Jewish women, which is where Jewish women could come and offer prayers and sacrifices. And obviously you're seeing as you progress out, more and more people can come and see and behold and be a part of worship with the glory of God. Well, outside of the court of Jewish women, you had the court of the Gentiles. And this is the place where the nations could come and offer prayers and sacrifices and behold the glory of God. So let's ask the question, when people decided to set up tables to exchange money and make bank and sell offerings. Where do you think they decided to set up their tables? Do you think they set them up in the Holy of Holies? Well, certainly not there. The court of priests? No. Court of Jewish men? No. Court of Jewish women? No. They'd set up all their stuff for their worship in the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus comes in and he turns over tables. 
And he says, my house is a house of prayer for all the peoples. And what was happening? Don't miss it. The people of God were conducting their worship in a way that was comfortable for them and ignored the nations. Can I say that one more time? They were conducting their worship in a way that was comfortable for them and ignored the nations who needed to see the glory of God. They had basically said, we're going to worship God our way and let the This is no exaggeration. Let the nations go to hell. Is that possible? For the people of God today to conduct our worship in a way that is comfortable for us while we ignore the nations. In a way that We go on with all kinds of activity while the nations go to hell. This is what we have done. God, open our eyes to a whole picture. We've seen it. Look at the data. We spend most of our resources on ourselves. We give some money to church, and in those churches, we spend millions of dollars on church buildings and programs that make religious activity comfortable for us, and we give relative pennies to three billion people who've never even heard the gospel among the nations. We have produced a whole worship culture that is comfortable for us and ignores the people who most need the gospel. A whole picture of the church that's filled with religious activity while we are functionally letting the nations go to hell. They were missing love for the nations. And Jesus comes in, he turns over tables, and he shouts, my house is a house of prayer for all the peoples. Now make the connection. We talked about this last week. We don't go to a temple to behold the glory of God, right? Followers of Jesus, we are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So now... It's not about the nations coming to see the glory of God in the temple. What does Jesus say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to have the Holy Spirit dwelling. You're going to be my temple, and you're going to be a what? You're going to be a witness to the nations. It's not nations come and see. It's temples, followers of Jesus. Go and tell. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Take, spread the glory of God all over the world through your life, through your praying and your giving and your going. However, wherever I lead, spend your life for the spread of my glory among all the nations. This is the purpose of your life, my life. We are not here on the planet to make America great. We are here on the planet to make Jesus' name great among all the nations. 
That's why we have breath. It's why we have wealth. It's why we have time. It's why we have gifts. It's why we have skills, resources for the spread of the greatest news in the world to all the peoples of the world. So, what does this look like in your life then? Yes, yes, that's it. Just pray it, brother. Like, God, open our eyes to see this is Christianity. Not religious motion that ignores the nations. It's spend my life for the glory of God among the nations. Right where I live, wherever you leave. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram 